Good morning, everyone. Our first Bible reading this morning is uh, from Acts, and that is chapter 16, verses 16 to 34. In the Pew Bibles, that is page 769. If you have a large print Bible, that's page 1720. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she projected the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading comes from 1 Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. In the Pew Bibles, it's page 849. In the large print, it's 1,888. Beginning at the ninth verse. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, um, if you could open your Bibles back to Acts chapter 16. As you came in, you should have been offered, I think, an outline of the talk. Uh, You might like to have that there to have handy. That would be good. Um, But I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to look at God's word together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, series that we've been able to do, looking at uh, how we might reach into our world with the gospel. Father, we pray that you might teach us uh, how to live in a world that is opposed to you. Father, we pray that you might show us how our lives might impact on the world around us uh, for your glory. And so we pray, Lord, that as we go away from here this this morning, that we would not go away from here just having learned something, but having been challenged uh, to live a life that's honouring to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's been uh, the, child, the uh, Royal Commission 
institutional child sexual abuse. There has been the protection of perpetrators of domestic violence in the church. There's been the Spanish Inquisition, the Crusades, the Troubles in Northern Ireland, uh, the, church, uh, the church's support of Adolf Hitler, the Salem witch trials, and the Aboriginal stolen generations. Christians throughout the ages, and the church in particular, have done some terrible things. Isn't that right? It's awful. It's an absolute tragedy. Um, many of you will have, uh, will have an understanding of what kind of impact that has on the world around us. You probably know people um, who don't want to have anything to do with Christianity because of one or all of these things. Uh, Christians have indeed done terrible things. And if it, ha- it isn't uh, something big like those particular events, it might just be something small, something personal. Uh, a church leader who bullied them, uh, peers who gossiped about them behind their back, or perhaps just an argument over the colour of the carpet. Christians have treated each other in terrible ways. Countless people have been turned off Christianity because of the behaviour of Christians. It's awful, isn't it? It's dreadful. And it's important, I think, for us, uh, I guess, to, uh, to put our hands up and say, yes, these things have happened. We cannot hide them away. We can't pretend they haven't happened. Um, the church is supposed to be a place of safety, a place of love, a place of kindness, of forgiveness, of compassion. Uh, but in reality, sometimes it's been exactly the opposite. We've just, we're just halfway through our series um, called, entitled Preparing for Mission. Last week... Uh, we saw that we saw the importance of God's word, the centrality of God's word. That in fact, people cannot be saved unless they they hear God's word. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believed, and it's it's in the scriptures that we are able to be made wise for salvation. Paul says to Timothy, uh, "It's in the Bible. It's the, it's God's word that is the power for our salvation." Which may then make you ask the question: If that's true. Does it even matter how we live as Christians? Because in the end, if it's the Bible that's God's power, no matter how Christians live, no matter what they do, then surely all we need to do is just read the Bible and suddenly the power of God will be unleashed uh, and people will be saved. Uh, Maybe we should reinstall kind of soapbox preachers, install Christians standing on Linfield Station there every morning just reading the Bible um, or proclaiming the Bible. And then people will magically become Christians. Um, is it true that as long as, all, as long as you're preaching the gospel, that's all that matters? Well, of course, as I ask the question, it sounds a ridiculous question, doesn't it? Uh, because, of course, uh, it isn't true that it's, all we need to do is to preach the gospel. In today's passage, in Acts chapter 16, you might have to turn it up again, um, we meet Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are in Philippi. You can see Philippi up there. Uh, up the top, uh, kind of in Macedonia up here, uh, northern Greece, as it was then, I guess. Um, Paul and Silas are there, and they're, they're preaching, and they do something terrible. They endanger the live, livelihoods of some slave owners. Uh, it's awful, isn't it? They, they set free a slave girl from the demons that possess her. It's an awful thing for them to do. 
um, to, to help this woman in this way. Um, so awfully, in fact, that they are taken and they are beaten and they, and they are thrown in prison. In verse 23, they are severely flogged, beaten with rods, we're told, um, and then thrown into prison. Uh, and they're told to be carefully guarded by the prison guards who are likely to be ex-soldiers and perhaps not the most compassionate, kind-hearted people you've ever met. Um, But their feet are put in the stocks. Um, Their act of kindness and compassion has uh, come back on them with with spades. That uh, They're now languishing in prison. That is how the night starts. But look how it ends. In verse 34, we read that the jailer was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. That's a bit of a change, isn't it? The beginning of the night, they are thrown in prison, beaten, locked up in chains. At the end of the night, there's a man and his whole household who believe in God. How on earth does that happen? How does it go from one to the other? Well, uh, to, to understand that, let's go back. Let's try and work our way backwards. In verse thirty-four, we've got this: the jailer and his family believe and become Christians. If you go back a couple of verses to verse thirty-two, you read that they spoke the word of God to him and to all the others in his house. So Paul and Silas preach to this man. He hears the message which is exactly what we heard last week, that they hear the gospel and they respond to the gospel. So that's how he becomes a Christian. That's how he and his whole family uh, come to believe. It's through God's word. But it doesn't quite answer it, does it? It doesn't quite answer how do we get to there. Let's go back a little bit further. In verse 30, um, we read that the jailer falls on his knees, trembling, and he asks them, he has them bring out, and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He begs them, please tell me how, I'm, I'm, uh, how I can be saved. Which is, wouldn't, that, wouldn't you love to be asked that? Wouldn't it be fantastic if somebody to come up and fall before you and say, please tell me how to be saved? How do I become a Christian? How do I receive eternal life? Well, that's what the jailer does. Well, that's great, isn't it? He comes and asks, they tell him, and he becomes a Christian. Fantastic. But... It still doesn't quite explain how on earth we got from Paul uh, and Silas being locked up in prison and beaten, put in the stocks, to then suddenly this guy coming and falling before them and saying, how can I be saved? Well, to understand it, we really need to have a look at verse 25 to 28. So I'm glad Heather stopped uh, 10 verses before the end. Um, Let me read to you what actually happened uh, in verse 25. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earth, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourselves. We're all here. The jailer calls for lights, rushed in, falls trembling before Paul and Silas, and then he brings them out and asks, what must I do to be saved? What's going on here? Paul and Silas have been unjustly arrested, thrown in prison, beaten, 
And how do they respond to that? How do they respond to that terrible treatment that, that they're getting? Do they, they respond by complaining? Do they grab their cup and go backwards and forwards across the bars, making a noise, saying, let me out of here? It wasn't us. We were just trying to help. No. What do they do? In verse 25, they are praying and singing hymns. It's just the place you want to have a, a worship night, isn't it? Um, in the, in the, the bowels of a prison, locked up. Paul and Silas are in the, in the prison preaching. They're praying, they're giving thanks to God for the privilege of being able to suffer for the name of Christ. They're singing praise to Jesus, which is completely ridiculous. Why would you do that? What kind of a person would respond to such terrible treatment like that? And you can imagine as they do that, all the other prisoners are sitting there listening because they've got nowhere to go, let's face it. Um, but the other people who are listening are the, the people who are in charge of the prison. All the guards would be there and no doubt the jailer. Seeing these strange men, they seem happy to be there. They don't seem angry like all the other prisoners they've looked after. They don't, they're not complaining or whining or, or, or begging for mercy. They're singing praise to God. It seems so odd. And then an amazing miracle occurs, a miracle of timing. There's nothing miraculous about an earthquake. Earthquakes happen all the time. But one of the things about the miracles in the Bible is quite often they're miracles of timing. This earthquake occurs at just the right time when Paul and Silas are in prison and bang, all the doors of the, the, of the prison cells fly open. Now, you and I have seen enough movies to know what happens when all the prison doors fly open in a jail. What happens? Everyone goes out. It becomes complete bedlam. There's people throwing chairs around and attacking the guards, and they're, they're, they, they, they disappear. They take the opportunity to run to flee. And so the jailer sees this, and he sees the doors wide open. He goes, oh, my goodness, they've all gone already. I'm, I'm totally, I'm, I'm dead, Literally. I'm responsible for all of these prisoners, and now they're gone. And again, the Romans were not really known for their mercy and compassion. He's likely to, have, to be tortured. He's likely to be beaten for, for failing at his post. So he figures, well, much better to die at my own hand than to be tortured by, by my bosses. So he grabs his sword, and he's about to do the deed. But before he, before he gets the opportunity to do that, he hears a voice. It's the same voice that he heard singing. It's the same voice that he heard praying in the cells. It's Paul. He says, don't harm yourselves. Don't harm yourself. We're still here. Which again makes no sense. Surely if you had the opportunity to escape, wouldn't you take it? But Paul and Silas don't. And I guess it's their influence that keeps the other prisoners there. You see, for the jailer... Uh, what's, what happens there just goes on to confirm what he'd always be, already begun to suspect, that there's something different about these guys. Look at the way they were behaving in prison. Look at what they've just done, or rather what they've just not done. There's something about these guys. They've, they're the ones who are locked up, but they seem to be free. I'm the jailer, but I feel like a captive. Please, if somebody could tell me how to be set free, how to be rescued from, from my life, it's got to be these guys. They seem to have the answer. 
Look at the way they've responded to, 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 these, to this situation. And so he comes and he falls before Paul and he says, please tell me, how can I be free like you? How could I be set free? It's because of the way Paul and Silas behaved that they are then, the jailer then asks them the question. Can you see the flow there? If you go backwards, uh, work from the bottom, go up. He sees them praying and singing. And because of the way he sees their behave, <clears throat> he re- realises they have something. And so he asks them, please tell me, how can I be saved? They respond with the words. They, they respond with the word of God. Uh, and he is saved. Now, for those of us who know the New Testament, you, you won't be surprised by this. Because actually throughout the New Testament, as well as the mission that Jesus gives us to go and tell the world and to make disciples of all people, uh, he also gives us a mission to live a godly life over and over again. In fact, more times than you see the, the, the commission to go out and tell people, you hear the call to live a life of godliness. Some of you remember the Sermon on the Mount. Anyone heard of that? A couple of people might have heard of that. At the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, they are what we call the Beatitudes, that's right? The Beatitudes, the blessed are the meek, blessed are the, uh, the cheesemakers, all those things. Um, all, all those blessings that Jesus pronounces. At the end of those blessings, when he's described what it looks like to live in God's kingdom, this is what Jesus says. Let me, let's flip back to it, shall we? Um, Matthew chapter 5, um, verses, uh, starting at verse 16. Sorry, verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Later on in verse 14, you are the light of the world. He talks, about, he talks to his disciples, he says, guys, you have, a, you have an impact on our world to preserve it, to preserve a crumbling society, to stand out, to add flavour, to add taste, to shine your light to make a difference in a dark and desperate world. That is who you are. But why? Why are they told to to be those things, to do those things? In verse 16 he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says to his disciples, you are to live such good lives that people will look at you and go, there's something different about you. I need to know your God. It seems to be your God that is changing, that has changed you. Please tell me about your God. That's why Peter, uh, who was there obviously with Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount, wrote in 1 Peter 2 verse 12, he says a similar thing. Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Uh, Peter says the same thing. We live a life so that others may see a life of goodness and godliness. We are the light of the world and it comes out in our lives. Now, of course, as I said at the beginning, too too often Christians have failed to be the light. They, if you like, they stood up with a dark light and they shone darkness into the world. Sadly, Christians have often brought darkness into the world. But it hasn't always been, that hasn't always been the case. There have been times when uh, the, the Christians have shone the light of God 
uh, and have made a difference. One of the uh, there was a movie that came out at the end of last year uh, called the, "For the Love of God: How the Church is Better and Worse uh, Than You Can Possibly Imagine," which kind of highlights these two extremes. How Yes, the church has done terrible things, but also Christians have done great things. When they've actually been doing what they were told, rather than going off and doing their own thing, Christians have actually made a difference and have shone an amazing light. Uh, John Dixon, who um, was part of that program, uh, instrumental in putting it together, in fact, um, also wrote this book called Promoting the Gospel. I just want to read to you a couple of excerpts from this book where he talks about the Christians, uh, all the early Christians, um, this is, let me, you may remember a couple of weeks ago, um, David shared how the, the church got together and they cared for one another. Listen to how it developed. By AD 250, so this comes from uh, exterior sources from a guy by the name of Eusebius, um, by AD 250, the Christian community in Rome was supporting some 1,500 destitute people every day. 1,500 destitute people every day. All around the Mediterranean, churches were setting up food programs, hospitals and orphanages that were available not just for believers but for unbelievers as well. Amazing, isn't it? It's great to hear um, such goodness being done by Christians in those early days. Um, So much so that actually the news of that got to the emperor. So in about AD 350, a guy by the name of Emperor Julian actually became afraid that Christianity was going to overtake the empire, not by, um, by force, but by, if you like, the stealth of good works. This is what he wrote um, uh, about the Christians. And he calls, interestingly, he calls Christians atheists, which is funny. Anyway, uh, he says, For when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think the impious Galileans, that's the Christians, observed the fact and had den- devoted themselves to philanthropy. And they have gained ascendancy in the worst of their deeds through the credit they win for such practices. The result is that they have led very many into atheism. Like Christianity, um, and of course, Christianity kept on growing in the same kind of way. So much so that he wrote a letter uh, to one of the priests saying that you guys need to do the same thing, because uh, he says he says it is disgraceful that when it, when no Jew ha- ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans support not only their own poor but ours, um, that all men see that our people lack aid from us. In other words. The Christians are helping people and we're not doing anything. So you better get out and do, start doing something. That's how, how bright a light the Christians were shining. They were out in the world doing good for all people. And it's because of them that the Roman emperor started to get some kind of welfare programs going for those in need. It's impressive, isn't it? Amazing, isn't it? But they were the salt and the light in our world. And, of course, that is what we are to be. We are to be salt and light in the world. Um, there's a time, there was a time, I think, when people were perhaps convinced by rational arguments and logic, and there's still some who are like that today about the faith, but there are more and more people today who are not just looking to see if Christianity is true. They want to know if it works. They want to see a, a Christian life that is livable, They want to see Christians who are living um, real lives. They want to see ordinary people like you and me being saved and showing what that looks like. 
And so today's message is actually incredibly simple. That we actually need to live a life that makes a difference. There are some who kind of say, well, you've got the choice. Do you become an evangelist or do you live a life caring for those in need? Uh, as if uh, you can have one and not the other. But it's a bit like the, uh, having the question, do you, is it more important to breathe or to eat and drink? Well, of course, to live, we need both of those things. And same, the same is true for us as Christians, that uh, the Christian life is not just about, okay, let's th- learn all the strategies that we can so that we can go out and hit people with the gospel. It's important for us to learn strategies and to, to take up programs like the Word One-to-One and uh, Two Ways to Live. Those kinds of things are very, very helpful. But they cannot exist in a vacuum. They need to exist in the, in the context of a life that is shining God's light. These are the kind of things that people need to hear. They need to see uh, faithful endurance in hardship. The way Christians respond to difficulty uh, has a very powerful effect. They need to see joy, hope and peace in all circumstances to show that our life is not just about getting joy and hope from the good things that we have, but even in the midst of hardship or in the midst of, uh, of a lack, being able to have joy, being able to have hope even when a job is lost or something, uh, having peace even when uh, others are trying to attack you. They need to see uh, love, love for others, even for the unlovely, those others that, that people that others will not care for. They need to see Christians who are authentic, who don't just say one thing and do another, but in their life they live out their faith truly. They need to see people who are kind. They need to see people who are generous. They need to see people who are humble. And on and on it goes. These are the kinds of things that our world needs to see from us. That's what it means to be salt and light. That's how we can make it possible for people to want to share the gospel, to hear the gospel from us. The word one-to-one program that we heard about on Wednesday will only be effective if we are living a life already, that we are connecting with people with love and compassion and kindness. Because when they see that in us, when they see that an authentic light shining out of us, then just maybe they might be prepared to say, well, what must I do to be saved? So... Today we've read, heard a great story uh, from the book of Acts. Uh, we've heard from Jesus that we need to be salt and light. If we just go away from here now, I'll have totally failed. Because in the end, God's word comes to us, not just so that we can know about it, but so that we can put it into practice in our lives. And so I'm going to ask you to think for a moment, maybe to look at that list that's there, or maybe from what you know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, humility, etc., Are there areas in your life where your light has been dimmed? Would your your non-Christian friends and and, uh, neighbours and and contacts, family members, would they look at you and see this is a person who shines a light? I don't understand it. I may not agree with it, but I can see it. I can see the goodness of the way way they live. Is there something in your life that needs to change? That needs that you can shine just a little bit brighter. You might like to think, you might like to write down if you've got, if you've got the kind of person who's taking notes. Is there something that this week I can work on? But can I also ask, is there something that we as a church could improve in our light shining? 
one of the things we, we need to do as a church, as a group of people together, is that we shine the light together. It's so much more powerful when all the, when all the lights are put together. And the things that we can do together uh, is so much greater than we can do as, as individuals. So are there ways, do you have suggestions about things that we as a church could do? Uh, again, you might like to write it down if you're the kind of person who's going to come to the vestry meeting. Um, that's one of the things that you could, you could show. We have a, a time in the vestry meeting where people can make suggestions or ask questions uh, that will go to parish council and parish, parish council consider. You might consider, well, how can we care for the poor more, more effectively? How can we care for uh, our environment more, environment more effectively? Those kinds of things. What are we doing as Christians to shine God's light in the world by our actions? Because we, as we shine God's light, then people will be able to glorify God who is in heaven. Let me pray, and then we'll uh, move on. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for this, uh, this great challenge that we've re- received from your word today. Uh, Lord, we know that Jesus came and as the light of the world to shine into our world, to bring hope uh, in the midst of darkness. But Lord, he has now passed that baton on to us to shine in his place, uh, to shine his light. And so, Father, we pray that you would show us how we might do that more effectively. Help us to be people who shine a positive light, a line of good goodness and godliness in our world so that people might see it, that they might be surprised by it, that they might be, uh, that they want to, want to investigate, want to find out more. Father, we pray that this might be the, thing, the foundation upon which our gospel preaching is based uh, so that your name is honoured in all we do. In Jesus' name. Amen.